Yeah, if any of you, as I do, do not know how to make palm branch crosses, Katie knows. Uh, and she can give you a tutorial. So take out your palm leaf. I'm Hannah, by the way. I'm the pastor here. Good morning and welcome. Oh, I already introduced myself. You knew that. Okay. Take your palm leaf. Just because we are adults with responsibilities and maturity, and you know, if you consider yourself to have those things, you may or may not, doesn't mean we shouldn't miss out on the fun of Palm Sunday. So as the kids are downstairs making palm leaf art, we are going to make palm leaf shouts. Anybody who can tell me what they shout on Palm Sunday? Hosanna! Okay, so we're going to divide in two. I'm going to cut you down the middle right here. And I'm going to point at one side, and you're going to wave your palm as fast as you can and yell Hosanna. And then I'm going to point to the other side, and that side's going to do it. Okay? Lose all your inhibitions. Connect to your inner child. Shout with your primal scream into the maw of the universe. Joy and laud and honor and adoration and praise, which is what Hosanna means. Okay? All right, this is going to be fun. All right, one, two, three. Okay, everybody all together. Woohoo! All right, amen. Isn't that fun? Yay. Okay. Um, I'm glad we had fun because the next thing we do is talk about how incredibly weird and confusing Palm Sunday is as a Christian holiday. Uh, it's, so we're right before the end, right? Easter, next Sunday, I hope you all come. Um, Easter is the foundational story of what it means to be a Christian. It's the biggest holiday of our year. It is the most important story, right? If you had to give somebody the elevator speech of Jesus, this is what you would talk about, right? Died and came to life. Um, it's an extraordinary thing, and we are almost there. We're right at the end. We are, this week, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, right? We are Twilight Breaking Dawn. We are Hunger Games Catching Fire. Whatever it is that floats your boat, like that, that's where we are, at the end of the drama, at the end of an epic story. Well, not the end, right? But at the culmination of an epic story, at the inflection point of an epic story, something that is incredibly profound and important. And here's the thing, it's not a, it's not a coincidence <laughs> that all of those books, when they were filmed, were made into two movies and not one, uh, that they stretched out that time, because often these inflection points, these extraordinary dramas, have enough to fill several stories. And that is true of this Sunday, too. There are some churches that call this Palm Sunday. They talk a lot about the day that is the analogy of the day that it would have been in Jesus's week, the Sunday before Easter, the day of his triumphal entry. Others celebrate what they call Passion Sunday, um, because not everybody can make it to a Good Friday service. They really talk about um, the core of the pre-Easter story, which is death and oppression and frustration and pain. And the thing about it is that it's all of the things. <laughs> it's all of the things. It's not one or the other. It's not picking. And, and too often, I think, when we look at this holy week, we call it holy in its fullness, not just in its part. There is one part or another that every one of us is tempted to forget. Jesus lives a full life in his holy week. And for all of us, there is some portion of it that we would rather not think about, that we would rather not live in the midst of. 
So some of the days of Holy Week, I'm sure you know of, right? A week from today, we will celebrate Easter Sunday, Day of Resurrection, Day of Miracles, Day of New Life, born out of what we thought was only terror. Easter Sunday, everybody knows about. Then the, probably the next most famous, right? You probably, you may have gone at some point to a Good Friday service, Day of Death, Day of um, Persecution, Day of Mocking, Day of Women There at the Cross, Being with the One Who They Mourn. Some of you may have even been to a Maundy Thursday service where we celebrate the meal that was both the Last Supper and the First Communion, um, a meal of Jesus with his friends, bonding and collecting, even with those who he knew would hurt him, in social love and time together. But there are a couple days of Holy Week that we almost never talk about. Um, one, one of my particular favorites, is what I would call a uh, like Moral Monday, maybe? Uh, so in the Holy Week tomorrow, tomorrow, Jesus goes to the temple and throws out the money changers, right? He makes a public protest of what he believes is wrong about what his faith is doing and what his people are doing. Uh, that's really the turning point for him when the crowds that shouted Hosanna turn into crowds that maybe would yell crucify him, right? People who are scared of the protest that he's doing that could put them in danger as much as it puts him in danger. People who are scared by the ways in which he's challenging the world. Um, there's an image that one of my friends posted that I always think is helpful to remember. Uh, if, if you're ever asking yourself, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Remember that losing your shit and flipping some tables is one of the options, <laughs> right? Just like remember, that's on, the, that's, on the, that's on the spectrum. That's one of the things that you might choose. Uh, that's one of the things that is within Jesus. But do we talk about that as a part of Holy Week? No, as critical as it is, we just don't. Um, it's a little rough to tell, right? The Gospels tell slightly different versions of each story and following which day they're talking about can be challenging. But in some of the Gospels, Wednesday is a day um, during Holy Week where as, as well-tracked as the other days are, it appears that Jesus does nothing, right? That Wednesday is a day of rest. Wednesday is a day of take a break. Do we celebrate holy don't do anything day? <laughs> no, but maybe we should. <laughs> um, there, for all of us, I think, is a part of this week that we are most likely to want to distract ourselves from. For, for some of us, it's the pain of Good Friday. Anytime that pain or struggle or strife is gonna happen in our lives, we're like, yeah, I'd rather not really like think about that. <laughs> I'd rather distract myself from that. I'd rather not sit in that. Some of us may be very comfortable with a Monday-style protest. We're fine getting out and yelling in the streets, but then we're not so good at the part where on Wednesday we take a break or on Thursday we hang out with friends. Some of us could do social all week, but when it comes to public joy, that it like feels a little embarrassing or awkward. <laughs> some of us, when we are in mourning, refuse to welcome happiness into our lives, and some of us, when we are happy, refuse to recognize that sadness is also a thing because it's hard to be human. And all of the things that happen to Jesus in this holy week are all things that happen to all of us all the time. And yet our temptation, depending on who we are, depending on what we've been through, I think is to try and close off at least one of these holy week rhythms because it's too hard or too different or might call us to be or do something new. I know that for me, <laughs> When I really think about it, when I really open myself up, most of the times in my life 
haven't been one thing or another. They have been sweet and sour times, bittersweet times, times of both at once. Um, it's been really interesting to see this story, this Lent and Holy Week and Easter story reflected through the eyes of my daughter, who is about two years old. Um, so the tangible stuff really, like, really makes an impact with her, right? She's not, she's not doing like advanced theology yet, uh, but the tangible stuff makes an impact. And so ever since we did Ash Wednesday, where we put ashes on our foreheads, and I told her that story, um, every time we talk about body parts, like where are your ears, where are your nose, she'll point to her forehead and she goes, ashes, Jesus died. <laughs> Which is like 100% accurate, and I realized that when she was saying that, even though I had told her that story, and I also tell her the rest of the story, right? And Jesus lived again, and Jesus loves us. I felt a little embarrassment. Why would I feel embarrassed at the idea that Jesus died? Why would I feel embarrassed at the idea that she might tell people that? Because there's something about that pain that just like makes me a little uncomfortable. There's something about that death that makes me a little uncomfortable, but for her, she doesn't have all of this baggage around it, right? There's all this understanding, all this pain and mourning. And so it's easier for her to just kind of say, oh yeah, Jesus died, Jesus lived, ashes, palms, all, you're like, whatever, it's all there. Um, and it made me think about when I was pregnant with her, only two and a half or so years ago. Um, uh, the week that I, she's my first child, I had never been pregnant before, I may never be again, so it was a unique physical and emotional experience. Uh, the week that I found out I was pregnant with her, I was pastor at another church, a different church, not Urban Village, and um, the week that I found out I was pregnant with her, I also found out that a really beloved member of our community, someone who just is honestly one of the best people that I've ever met, just like an extraordinary man to his community, to his family, in his faith, um, he died that same week. And he died young, he was, he was um, in his 50s, and it was a surprise. Um, and uh, he was just one of those people, people ask me why I go to church if I can do spirituality, right? Like by myself, by podcast. Because only at church, he was a generation older than me. We had grown up in different countries. We had different political views. He had a different family structure than I did, all kinds of things. But man, I really loved him. <laughs> and he really loved me because we had done this church thing together. We had made worship happen together and we had done service to children together and I just, I loved him and he had changed my life and here I was doing his funeral. And I knew that literally new life was growing inside of me. And um, that happened a couple times when I was pregnant with her. I had a funeral right at the first trimester, I had a funeral right at the second. And it was the thing when I was a pastor and I kind of was thinking about getting pregnant, like that I was most scared of, basically, that I would have to be with people who were going through terrible things while I was pregnant and either it would hurt them or be offensive to them, right, if they were experiencing um, infertility or death themselves or that it would feel mixed up to me or like taint this experience, but it, I was so wrong. It was the exact opposite thing because to be so present to life and to death at the same time, um, felt more real to my experience of being alive than anything else ever had. It didn't make it worse uh, to be pregnant while I was doing the funeral. It didn't make it better. It made it more true. <laughs> 
because I was remembering as I said these words that I had said a thousand times in a thousand different funerals and sermons, these words that we will be resurrected and Jesus died and life comes again in death, they all of a sudden were real to me in a way that they never had been before. That I could hold on to joy in the midst of sorrow in a way that um, I just had not experienced as truly because I realized um, I did believe that even though she never met him, he was gonna influence her life. I knew the stories about his faith that I would tell her. I knew, right? I, I knew that his presence would be made known, that the presence of all of the people who died before she came would be made known in her life through the love that she would experience, through the faith community that would hold her, through the things that she would know, and it, it was happening at the same time, and it made both richer. It didn't make either one not true. It didn't make my joy inappropriate. It didn't make my sadness not real. They were mixed up inside of me. I think this is happening to us all the time in ways that we don't notice or refuse to acknowledge. Um, or we think it's not right to feel all the things at the same time, but that's what's happening. I, last year, some of you may remember, we go to Pride Parade every year at this church. It is one of the great worship services that we engage in, being at Pride and saying who we have found God to be in our lives and in the scriptures and that queer people are a part of who God has made and all people are and here is the love that we offer and it's this extraordinary experience. And last year, right before the Pride Parade, right before a lot of the national Pride Parades, some of you may remember, um, was the massacre at Pulse nightclub in Orlando, um, an act of terror and violence, an act of homophobia and racism, an act that was frightening and scary. And it, I feel like in the moments and hours right after it, I could be misremembered, but I remember people talking about, you know, in articles and in conversation, is it even right to have pride this year? It is, even, is, is it even right to go out and march and be joyful and be happy and dance and have great outfits, like is it, is it right to do those things when we are mourning and when pain and oppression have been made known in the world? But all those different city pride parades came to what I think is the right and true conclusion, which is that it's even more appropriate, it's even more necessary in the face of true mourning and true pain and true violence and true injustice to embrace the parts of joy and to affirm the life that remains and that we do feel and that is real. That it becomes richer through that, not less true. When we decide to celebrate, when we decide that joy is real even in the face of enormous obstacle. This Sunday at Palm Sunday, we shout, Hosanna! Next Sunday at Easter, we shout, Alleluia, he is risen. And Hosanna and Alleluia, when you go back, it seems like they mean very similar things, right? Adore, praise, honor, but to me there is all the difference in the world between saying a simple Hosanna that is, uh, oh, everything's fine, everything's gonna be okay, and saying the Alleluia of joy in the face of what we have just seen, <laughs> Monday through Saturday. Joy in the face of what we experienced yesterday when only death reigned and we didn't know that Easter was coming. Those are a part of our life too and we ignore them at our peril because the kind of joy we find when we truly acknowledge everything else that is happening to us and with us and in us, 
is a deeper, more profound celebration of the spirit than the kind that just says, be happy, don't think about it. This is what life is. We are, um, this afternoon, I'll be flying to Philadelphia with my husband, who some of you know is Jewish, uh, to go to the Passover Seders. They're gonna be held tomorrow night and Tuesday. And this is one thing where I think, uh, in part because we allied ourselves with the forces of power, Christianity is like way worse at than Judaism. <laughs> um, the Seder that I'll do is not the same Seder that Jesus would have done, right? In 2,000 years, things have changed <laughs> within Judaism. But one thing that it will do very, very well is recognize the mixedness of our souls and our godly experiences. We will eat bitter herbs to remind us of the bitterness that has come in our history and to our ancestors and in our lives. We will dip vegetables in salt water to say that there is health and nutrition and there are also tears. We will eat chorosets, part of my, my favorite part, the apples and honey, right, that remind us of the sweetness and newness of life. That it's not um, untrue or inauthentic or anything else to do that all at the same time. What it is, is life. <laughs> and to try and make ourselves choose between one and the other is to try and make ourselves ignore half of what is happening to us at any given moment. Whatever day of the week you're in, whatever day of the week is happening to you, whether you are Monday protesting the man, or Tuesday being anointed by oils, or Wednesday taking a rest, or Thursday hanging with friends, or Friday the world arrayed against you, or Saturday everything looks hopeless, or Sunday all of the joy in the morning has come to you and filled your soul, no matter what day of the week you are in, Jesus meets you there because Jesus has been there too. Jesus has been there too, and the whole week is a part of our experience, and the whole Jesus is a part of our experience, and the whole of humanity will grow deeper inside of us if only we stop choosing to ignore part of it. Wherever you're at, the other things will come. Wherever you're at, the other things have been. Wherever you're at, it is a happy Palm Sunday, and it is an other stuff Palm Sunday. And all that we experience, God will meet us there. And how grateful I am that we will experience all of those things together. Amen.